Hello and welcome to the Unreported World podcast with me, Krishnan Guru Murthy. This week, reporter Aidan Hartley and director Richard Cookson travel to Gaza to meet members of the Palestinian Paralympic team hoping to qualify for London 2012. They find athletes struggling to train in the conflict zone. normally associate Gaza with sport. But in the middle of this conflict zone, a team of disabled athletes are training. Palestine will go to London's Paralympics in 2012. These are the athletes battling to qualify. In the Gaza Strip, there are very few places where sports people can train. This, in the heart of Gaza City, is one of them, and it's where the athletes come three times a week. The team captain is Hamis Zakut, a discus thrower. In Gaza, it's those who've died fighting Israel who are seen as heroes, not sportsmen. 20 years ago, Hamis helped establish Palestine's first Paralympic team. But in Gaza, nobody knows who he is. It took him half an hour to flag down a taxi to take him to his gym. Taxi drivers don't like to pick up disabled people because it's a hassle to deal with a wheelchair. Sometimes I have to pay taxi drivers three times the normal rate to pick me up. At 46, Hamis has qualified for past Paralympics, but never had the money to go. This time, the team has funds from the European Union, and he's determined to bring home a medal. But in Gaza, training is a challenging business. This gym doesn't have the right facilities for disabled people, but it will help me get to the Paralympics. He spends hours every week here. He can't get a job, and he lives on a meagre government allowance. Everywhere you look in Gaza, you see disabled people. It has one of the highest rates of disability in the world. Hamis lives on the ground floor of a house in the poor district of Khan Yunus. <laughs> Yeah, kids are absolutely weighed down with medals. This is why people say I'm the best athlete in Palestine. His kids have brought in a, a clutch of medals that are so heavy you can see them actually weighed down by them. Um, these are, uh, this is a bronze from Guangzhou last year, 2010. He's got others from uh, Arab Games. He's got uh, a medal that he won in 1998 in Birmingham. Um, they're gold, silver, bronze. This is a huge Paralympian career that he's showing us. Hermes insisted on making us tea. Before he was disabled in 1992, he was a builder and has adapted his house to wheelchair living. He told me sport had saved his shattered life. I was working on a building site and fell from a great height. 
After my accident, I went to a rehabilitation center. At the center, I played sport for the first time. I felt it was a good replacement for something I had lost. Hamiz took us to the training ground to meet the rest of his eight-man squad. One star athlete is Mohamed Fanuna, a partially sighted long jumper and javelin thrower. He won a bronze for Palestine at the 2004 Paralympics in Athens. He believed he was well set to qualify for the London Games. Palestinians used to think that we were only taking part for pleasure, but now they realize that we are competing to win. I noticed Hamis looked worried. He was deep in conversation with one of the coaches. The head coach Musa called the team meeting. Without giving names, he said only four athletes from the squad were on track to qualify for London. The team was shocked by the news. They thought they were doing better. Musa also warned that Paralympic rules meant Mohammed would have to have his eyes retested to be sure of a place. Captain Musa, my eyesight has never improved. How can we carry on training if we're not sure we're going to compete? You're not making sense. Let me explain it to you. I don't want your explanation. I know what I'm saying. Am I being forced to take an eye test? Please, don't shout at us. That's it, I'm leaving. Mohammed was distraught that he might somehow be disqualified because he hadn't followed the correct procedures. And without Mohammed, Palestine might miss out on one of its best chances for a medal. I'm angry because I've been an international athlete for eight years. 20-year-old Abed also looked worried. Abed feared his form wasn't good enough for him to be one of the four that was set to go to London. Abed invited me back to his home, where he lives with his parents. He told me he'd been disabled since birth. As a child, he had to have his right leg amputated. He may be only 20, but he's also won medals across the world. Right, a gold from Tunisia, 2009, Turkey. And then these? He said the suspense over whether he would qualify for London added to pressure on him to give up sport and find a job. My family say there is no future for me in sport. His mother, Om Mohammed, chipped in to say she just wanted what was best for him. They were a poor family, and she worried what would happen to Abed when she and her husband were gone. I've had many fights with my family over this. 
I tell them I want to carry on with my sport. I still hope to go to London next year. It will be the first time that I can take part. Three of Arbed's cousins are deaf. Arbed's two sisters are also disabled. Disability has placed an enormous burden on this family. It's because family members have married close relatives. It's also the will of God. In Gaza, it's common for poor people to marry into their extended families. This is a major reason why there are so many physically disabled people here. Outside the mosque where he works as a religious teacher, I met another discus thrower, Hatim, who is blind. He told me he was certain that to make the London Games, he'd need to throw further. We've come to a cemetery around the corner from the mosque where Hatim does his religious teaching. And this is where he does some of his training when he's not able to get down to Gaza City to train. His 13-year-old son, Mohammed, clapped so Hatim knew which direction to throw in. Hatim and Mohammed spend hours training in this graveyard. Three times a week, Hatim teaches children about the Quran in this mosque. Going blind hasn't stopped him from working. I was born with normal vision, but it started to deteriorate when I was 11. My father is an eye doctor, and he examined me and told me I have a hereditary condition because of intermarriage. What made you decide to get into sport? I've always enjoyed playing sport. Before I went blind, I used to enjoy playing football. We're now walking to Hatim's home. It's very difficult to get about in Gaza when you're disabled, and Hatim uses his young son, Mohammed to help him. Mohammed, how, how do you help your dad? I help take him to the mosque to make sure he doesn't have an accident. What would he do without you? It would be very hard for him. He needs somebody to take him to training. I don't feel like I'm missing out by helping my dad. We have a lot of fun together. Few people try to achieve anything when they're disabled. I encourage them to do activities that make them feel more valued. Mohammed has had his eyes checked. He's not going to go blind like his dad. 
Gaza is effectively under siege. Israel controls the goods that go in, and it's hard for people to get out. Israeli gunboats patrol the coastline. Their gunfire is an everyday sound. The Gaza Strip has the atmosphere of a large prison. People are hemmed in, and it's claustrophobic. And travel outside of Gaza is very restricted for any reason. We've been filming with the men's Paralympic team for several days. Nobody told us this, but we've suddenly discovered that there's also a women's team, and they're training at a gym around the corner. Disabled Palestinian women athletes had never had the chance to compete overseas. They told me in this conservative Muslim society, their families hadn't allowed them to travel alone. Their coach, Hala Shakura, said that was all about to change. She said they were off to a competition in Doha in December, but their main target was ensuring women went to London next year. How are you going to make sure that the women are included? She said she was looking for sponsors and hoped at least one woman would go to London. And if she came back with a medal, it would change everything in Palestine for women's sports. Fatma Hululi is a shot putter and the team's best hope for a place on the podium if she can make it to London. To perform at my best, I need a new prosthetic leg. Facilities are poor here, so I'd have to go abroad for a better leg. I wish I had enough money to get one. Fatma had told me that if she qualified for London and did well, she might attract a sponsor who would give her a new leg. It's very difficult for amputees to get prosthetic limbs in Gaza, and there's only one place that manufactures them. We're on our way there now. The artificial limbs and polio center fits basic prosthetics. They said they had enough artificial legs, but they were short of arms and hands. I met some patients on the waiting list. A little girl, Balsam Al-Bayoumi, said she was growing fast and needed a new prosthetic arm. Nine-year-old Yusuf Abu Nahal had lost his arm to cancer. His father told me he'd been waiting 10 months for a new arm. The medical center's director is Hazim Shawa. At this center today, we've spoken to patients who've been waiting for prosthetic limbs for a very long time, including a nine-year-old boy who lost his arm to cancer. He's been coming here for 10 months looking for an arm. Yes. Why hasn't he got one? After the last war on Gaza, after the last war in Gaza, the Israelis stopped sending materials directly. We had a donation from Slovenia. The material was left in Tel Aviv airport in February, and we are still waiting for the materials today. Let me get this right. Yusuf, that nine-year-old boy, could have had a prosthetic limb months ago 
had the materials not been sitting in a warehouse in Israel for the last nearly eight months. I'm sorry to, I'm say, sorry yes. to say, yes. Israel denies blocking medical supplies to Gaza. The sense that Gaza is under siege is never far away, and the conflict swells the number of injuries and amputations. Gazan civilians are killed or maimed by Israeli strikes, often in retaliation for rocket fire from Palestinian militants. We've come to a district called Sharf, east of Gaza City, to this home where we hear there are family members who are injured in recent violence. Can you tell me what happened here? Sabazaza told me that a fortnight before, his two nephews were playing in the street. Palestinian militants had fired rockets from nearby. Israel responded with airstrikes and missiles from pilotless drones. Out of the blue, a drone fired a rocket in amongst the children, horribly wounding his two nephews. Sabah wanted to show me where the attack had occurred. In the weeks before we arrived, dozens of civilians had been killed or maimed. He's showing me these pictures of the extent of their injuries after that drone rocket strike. And they're absolutely horrific. This is Ibrahim lying in hospital. You can see that he's already lost one hand. Uh, his other hand was also amputated. His elder cousin, Muhammad, less extensive injuries, still terrible burns across his legs. These are two victims of a war that claims not only thousands of lives, but also maims many of its victims. At the time, I believed Ibrahim faced a life of disability because of his horrific injuries. But four days later, I learned the boy had died. I had noticed at the Paralympic training sessions a young man who watched but never joined in. The athletes told me he wanted to participate but was a recent victim of the violence. I went to meet him. Why are you not able to train together with these other athletes? Adli Obey told me he couldn't take part in the sports because he didn't yet have an artificial limb. He had lost his left leg when he was blown up by an Israeli missile. He has shrapnel embedded in his arm. The coaches say that if he trains, this might damage his nerves. He also says that it's painful when he moves around on crutches. He said he'd been promised an artificial leg, but he doesn't know when one will be available. His dream is to go to Germany, where he says the best prostheses are made for sportsmen. But until someone comes forward to help him, he has to sit on the sidelines and watch others participate. I met up again with the team captain, Hamis Sakut. He was with Mohammed and Hatim. One of the squad, Fadi Al-Deeb, had been absent from training. The athletes told me his mother had been sick and had died the night before. 
several members of the Paralympics team are off to pay respects to Fadi for the loss of his mother. There's clearly quite a lot of team spirit. Fadi's mother had already been buried. Even though the athletes are competitors, they were here together to pay their respects to the grieving son. What binds them is not just their disability, but also the sheer hardship of living in Gaza. I'm very sorry for your loss, and thank you very much for having us at your house. Tell me, what happened to your mother? His mother was diagnosed with cancer, and when doctors operated, they discovered it had spread. The only way she could get proper treatment was to cross over the military checkpoint and go to hospital in Israel. He wasn't able to join her and be by her side because he says that the Israelis rejected his application. And so he wasn't able to be with her when she died at hospital inside Israel and her body was brought across yesterday for the funeral. <coughs> Fadi's been disabled since he was about 18, when he had a fall from a height and broke his back. He says that his mother was always his best supporter, that he turned to sport as a way of getting out of the depression of disability, and that now she's gone, life is going to be so much harder. The athletes said goodbye to their grieving friend. Back at the sports ground, we saw some of the athletes one last time. By now, we'd learned that Hamis was one of the four almost definitely going to London. At 46, his first Paralympics. Arbed was still on the borderline. He had decided to defy his family and keep training. team was struggling to improve his personal best at discus. If he fails, he'll miss out. And Mohammed has resumed his training and is one of the squad's best bets for a medal. It's all to do with self-confidence, and my results will speak for themselves. Life has taught me you should never quit. The Palestinians who make it to the London Paralympics in 2012 will be among the most remarkable athletes at the Games. Our thanks to Aidan Hartley, and for all the latest on the series, do go to the website at channel4.com slash unreportedworld, where you'll be able to read reporter features, watch video extras, and download previous podcasts. Until next week, from me, Krishnan Guru Murthy, goodbye.